Hi and welcome to The Long Game, a podcast by Macau Group where we sit down and have raw conversations with talented specialists and people who are passionate about what they do in the built environment. My name is Kelvin and I lead the team here at Macau. Check us out at macau.com.au to learn more. That's M-A-K-A-O.com.au. This is Volume 1, where we explore the ins and outs of energy efficiency in buildings. Today's episode features Darren O'Dea, one of the co-founders at Speckle. Speckle is an online platform that enables users to simplify complex building simulations, navigate the National Construction Code, and vet building product suppliers. With extensive technical experience in building physics, Darren is a board member of the Australian Passive House Association and a former advisor to the Australian Building Codes Board. Leave the door to your mind open and enjoy the conversation. Thanks for making time today, Darren. Um, looking forward to the conversation about building physics, speckle fabric first, and getting to hear an overview of what you're seeing in the industry and learning more about what you're up to with speckle. Cool. Maybe just to kick off, I think it would be best for uh, the listeners to get to hear more about who you are from your own words. Okay, cool. Hey guys, my name is uh, Darren. I've been working in the, I guess, the sustainable design industry probably for about 15 years. And of the last 15, probably 10 has been practiced here in Melbourne, Victoria. And uh, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to work quite early on in the in the facade design space, which had a natural affinity to really what is becoming a, a popularized subgenre of ESD, which is building physics. And building physics is the understanding of air, sound, heat, and all those elements that go through the building envelope. Yeah, I've really just specialized in that space and have gone away from the, the larger consultancies and doing my own thing. I say gone away from larger consultancies, it's just in terms of directly working for them, but I actually still work with a hell of a lot of large consultancies providing advisory services within this subgenre of building physics uh, because sometimes they don't have the people internally to deliver it themselves. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so that's a very quick overview. Anything else you want to know? <laughs> yeah, it's actually something that you've mentioned a few times in that intro, which kind of ties into your title, the Chief Building Physicist. Could you elaborate more on how you came about with that title mm. and maybe a little bit of an overview for people who don't know what the term means? It's Chief Building Physics Nerd. I really came up with it on the spot, to be honest. Okay, I'm going to go out on my own. What am I going to do? Yeah, I've got a bit of a marketing head on me. So it's like, what do I call myself? And I'd been involved in so many design meetings where people hadn't got a clue what I was talking about. They were just like, oh, yeah, that dude's just nerding it out in the corner, working out what he's working out. Yeah. As long as we get our report, that's all we care about. Mm -hmm. And really, because I've had this sort of almost (laughs) obsession with building physics and the built environment for quite a long time, Mm. I just love the numbers. I love the numbers. By virtue of that, I, I really became the... I added on nerd to building physics and chief is just, I didn't want to record a chief this, chief that in regards to, you know, the CEO type title. So I thought, oh no, reject that. I'll just have something a bit more informal and I'm an informal guy anyway. I think I have a reputation for being quite, I won't say unprofessional, but I will say, (laughs) say I say what I say and there is an informal twist to that. Uh, Oh, nice. And maybe as just a quick backstory, you said you used to work uh, for for larger consultancy. Mm. Just a a quick overview of um, your journey from moving from working as a sustainable designer or facade 
design consultant to getting into Fabric First, which was mm. first the first uh, first company. Yeah, um, and, okay. And then well, the new transition to Spectral. Well, I, I worked for a large. It was. Actually, it, it is actually. I, I believe it still is the fastest growing facade con, uh, consultancy globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, a crowd called Inhabit. So, uh, I actually came down here and I interviewed uh, down here in Melbourne, and I interviewed with Lendlease mm-hmm. and Inhabit. And I think it was who else? It was Meinhardt. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was living in Vietnam at the time. Mm-hmm. And I helped uh, build the uh, Vietnam Green Building Council. Yeah. Uh, so I was responsible for the development of the rating tools there. In so, Vietnam. In Vietnam, yeah. yeah. So I was there for a few years. And uh, yeah, fortunate enough, in habit, thought, well, take a punt on this fella. He can talk. I, I wasn't really across facades so much at the time. I had very high level knowledge, but mm-hmm. I had the interest and uh, certainly had the background knowledge, but not the actual sort of application, the construction understanding. Mm. So, anyway, so they brought me in and really just really put me on a bit of a pedestal and said, oh, look, let the guy grow, let him do what he's going to do, mm-hmm. and build a team around, I guess, that growing base services that fundamentally became building physics services. It wasn't called building physics at the time, it was called ESD. Mm. I wanted to sh- shake off that ESD type um I guess understanding because it ESD is so broad from planning all the way to commissioning it can mean anything to be quite honest yeah. and I want it to be more numerically defined around just what the facade is doing the building envelope is doing so it made a lot more sense work with the guys for a long time and then decided you know I'm going to go out and do my own thing now because I wanted a bit more flexibility I wanted to work on different types of projects mm-hmm. and that's where you know really where Fabric First was born with Fabric First really it's a well-known I guess concept in the UK fabric first the name comes from effectively putting the building fabric of the building first in, in terms of a, of a philosophy yeah. to drive energy efficiency outcomes mm. so I really just stole that and renamed my company fabric first yeah. I don't think anyone owns it hopefully they don't and uh, yeah that's really where it came from so really just still playing around with numbers yeah producing reports but more interested in what's happening in construction that's my primary interest I do design Lots of it, but I'm more interested in actually going through design, construction, commissioning of buildings to know that the building that I've been involved with has actually met its requirements and and achieved certain accolades, whether it's passive house Mm. certification, Mm. uh, whether it's just a high performance aspiration, that's my game. Nice. And in your own words, how would you briefly, very briefly sum up building physics as a concept for someone who's not very familiar with it? Yeah, probably just going back to the earlier thing where mm-hmm. building physics is really uh, this sort of subgenre of ESD that is more numerically defined because you're assessing the knowns. So you're working with building physics principles in order to assess sound, air, light, heat, energy flows in general. Mm. So it's really just, uh, it's still numbers in, numbers out to a degree, yeah. but it's about the more detailed assessment of things. To give an example, at a macro level, like an ESD approach may not look at certain junctions of a building. Mm. Where at building physics approach, you will look at those junctions because those junctions may have a meaningful impact on your building from an internal surface temperature perspective, from mm. an acoustic perspective, mm. that type of thing. Mm. So it's really diving down into the details mm. that is that natural response to someone that's been involved in the facade industry and going, okay, let's get more out of the performance side of the facade industry. Yeah, gotcha. Thanks for that. And before we start to get into the nitty gritty, just taking a few steps back and zooming out, 
I'm keen to hear what your bird's eye view of the construction industry from, say, because you're both in the ESD or the sustainable building design space. Mm. What's your bird's eye view of what's going on in the, in the, in the industry at the moment, mm. especially with all the new changes coming to the building code? Some of them have already come in 2019 and there's some more coming in 2022. Yeah, there's lots of pre-COVID and COVID type responses to that question. Yeah, look, at building industry is it's an interesting space at the moment. We were on a project the other day and we were running around uh, looking for timber trusses. Mm-hmm. Rang 15 trust companies. None of them would supply trusses anymore because they can't buy timber. They can't buy timber. Can't buy timber. The cost of timber is too high. Oh, wow. So the economics of building with the COVID means that we've had such demand internally mm-hmm. with our closed borders that suddenly we're running out of materials to build with which is interesting but is that su- supply chain issue supply chain issue yeah yeah the classic demand and supply mm. and uh, it looks like demand has been so great and uh, some of that you can probably uh, equate that to the availability of affordable housing as well now because uh, there's definitely issues out there in terms of the uh, affordability but let's stay on topic could rant on for a while going back to i guess the question about looking at things from above we've seen this transition a transition where the National Construction Code, mm. prior to its implementation and becoming mandatory in 2019, it wasn't really doing much from an energy efficiency point of view. It wasn't driving the performance of sustainable outcomes in, in any way or form. Mm. It was really just a bit of a game. There was lots of folk, you and I included, mm. that would have been working in the space of, yeah, let's just get it over the line, and that is what it is. But it wasn't driving good outcomes. So 2019 is promising to change that potential for better outcomes in buildings from my perspective because it brought up that bar Mm. quite significantly to mean that effectively you you can't really get away with what you could get away with previously in terms of meeting the minimum compliance requirements Mm. uh, for energy efficiency so previously for example the national construction code has a couple of different pathways Mm. Mm. deemed to satisfy or deemed to dissatisfy which i prefer to call it and the performance solution pathway. So the performance solution pathway is the flexible approach that deemed satisfy as the tick box approach, right? Yeah. Now, with the NCC 2019, the deemed satisfy is, you know, is significantly more onerous. But I guess the hidden agenda there is that the performance solution side of things is also much more onerous too. Mm. So they actually both equate to a better degree in order to meet the performance requirements of energy efficiency. Mm. So it doesn't matter which way you go now, it's a bit more equal. We'll still mm. go down the performance solution pathway where we can use a, a certain method, a verification method, mm-hmm. in order to get building to comply from an energy efficiency point of view and others. Yeah. But the game isn't quite, yeah, we can just go to single glazing because that's effectively what it was before. Mm. Now at least we're mandating that some buildings can be by default double glazed. Many of them will be. Others will need to be double glazed, thermally broken. Mm. In terms of the thermal bridging within walls, prior to 2019, we could just ignore those because they didn't exist. Mm. Mm. They did exist, of course, but we didn't account for them. Mm. Now we can account for them. Mm -hmm. And, And then we start to actually resolve back down to what the real performance is more likely to be. So there's not this massive uh, chasm Mm -hmm. between what we design and what we build and how the building performs, which was there in 2016. Mm. Uh, Now, actually, we're resolving that. So we're going into another level of accuracy Mm. because 2019 is mandating Mm. that we do. And we're going to see this continue. As NCC 2022 comes out, Mm. we're going to see more tweaks, more refinement, more in the residential space. But we're going to see a continual uh, progression to better quality deliverables 
both from our design and construction sector, mm. and the consultancy market is going to need to make sure that they provide those deliverables too. So, yeah, look, there's lots of interesting stuff going on. We've also got lots of changes in our industry in terms of looking at these performance solutions. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were just talking offline there a little while ago about how performance-based design briefs now are becoming mandatory in July this year. Yeah. And maybe you want to use this as a pitch for this. <laughs> this is a really interesting progression in our industry because these design briefs mm-hmm. that are now required at some point in the design Mm. pretty much stipulate, if you're in a DNC contract, uh, prior to pretender, that you must use these specifications in your final build. Mm. So it's pushing the fact that there's so much swapping of materiality as you go through a process that Mm. it becomes impossible to really track. The government are trying to stop people from changing Mm-hmm. their designers that go through to construction. Of course, we still will go through a process, but it'll be a more formalised process where we actually understand what the impacts are mm-hmm. because we've got so many issues with uh, poor quality materials being replaced with good quality specifications in mm-hmm. the design process. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see things happen there too, and the fact that the New South Wales building reforms now are coming in soon too, and it effectively mandates the same thing, is that mm-hmm. we've got to be more across our specifications far early in the design process in order for us to truly understand what's actually going to be delivered in construction. Mm. And because they're building reforms, the building commissioner is now the head honcho, so he can tear into building sites and work out whether people know what they're supposed to be doing. And if they don't, he has certain powers to stop work. Mm. So Mm. there's going to be very interesting um, feedback from that process, and it will be interesting to see how the main contractors Mm. take that on Mm -hmm. in terms of both, I guess, the opportunity to be more transparent, but also what happens in terms of hey, if they do need to change things, and of course mm. they will need to change things, mm. how do they do it, what are the processes? A lot of this stuff is not really defined yet. So there's lots of moving parts here, but we are going through a process where things have got more onerous, mm-hmm. things are getting tighter, things are getting more transparent in terms mm. of what we do. Mm. I'm hoping all of that leads to better quality buildings, because yeah. I think that's what we're all involved in this to do. True. Yeah, so what do you think are some of the triggers uh, that led to all these uh, changes, the building code and the new introductions like the performance design briefs? Yeah, look, I think we're all learning. We, it certainly wasn't the winds changing or someone getting out of the bed with a, a smile on their face. Since 2010, we've progressively been tweaking things and understanding things in terms of what we need to do to continue to improve buildings. Obviously, we had the major sort of the cladding issues, so combustible cladding, that's a big driver, particularly in terms of the performance-based design brief stuff because that all stems from fire mm. and understanding risks uh, posed by proposed solutions for fire. We've got the structural defects of you know, towers in New South Wales. Uh, mm. We've got condensation problems mm. in multi-residential buildings and any buildings with high moisture loads within them. Mm. So there's a confounding bunch of things going on that really just means, hey, time for a next step. And also the fact that our buildings are becoming more thermally efficient. Mm. And this has an impact as well, particularly on that condensation side of things, mm. where building better Mm. and we're trapping in more moisture more vapor not getting rid of that properly Mm. so there's the classic uh, sort of pain points that growing industries particularly the building industry experiences and it's happened in the US it's happened in the UK it's happened in New Zealand we're going through something similar but probably not at quite the same level because generally from a building physics point of view at least our our environment is fairly forgiving Mm. Mm. as in the climate Mm. it's very depending on which state you're in. Yeah, yeah. 
just before we move to the next segment, curious to hear more about two terms that you mentioned in there, particularly around thermal bridging and condensation management. Mm. I find that they're not concepts that are widely understood in the industry, especially with the new code mandating mm. that we acknowledge the effects of thermal bridging, for instance. Mm. Could you share more about, because I know that's an area that you do tend to specialize mm. in, shed more light on uh, maybe to begin with what condensation management or what thermal bridging is yep. and maybe what some of the, the effects of having those things occur in a building. Mm. We can start on the thermal bridging stuff. So the uh, NCC 2019 pretty much took a standpoint that mm-hmm. the fact that they would start to reduce thermal bridging. So in this case in point, thermal bridging is deemed to be really some sort of repeat structure mm-hmm. within the insulation layer, mm-hmm. let's call it a timber stud. Mm. a steel start they've just let's focus on this stuff first because that's the easiest stuff to talk to Mm. so that thermal bridging component is the increased heat flow as a result of your insulation layer being punctured with something Mm. so you've got timber it's not so bad got steel it's a hell of a lot worse Mm. in terms of the overall performance of that wall Mm. so uh, for example the performance of the insulation has a a resistance to thermal transfer. Mm. The, the steel has a resistance there on different levels. Mm. And once you take into account the combined effects of them, you get a, a different overall performance. Mm. So the National Construction Code said, yeah, let's deal with these repeat thermal bridges. You can get thermal bridges elsewhere, like balcony details, where you've got a continuous slab coming out from directly connected to the conditioned space internally. That could mm. be a thermal bridge. You could get a geometric thermal bridge, which is a you know a corner of a building that isn't quite insulated enough. And it means that you will get heat flowing in a couple of different directions. And so it gets very cold in the corner mm. of the building. Mm. So there, there's multiple thermal bridges out there, but we've really just looking at the most basic ones to start with mm. and uh, implemented or borrowed a standard from New Zealand mm-hmm. and used that standard to start the discussion. Mm. So it's interesting because it's, it is a start, start to the discussion. The standard itself is, this is where I really get boring, 4214 is the standard. Uh, it's embedded in 4859.2. I told you it was boring. It is fundamentally a weak standard for domestic type wall structure, mm. quite suitable for its current application. That will change over time. It will get tweaked. It will get improved mm. to be a more appropriate point of reference to understand this thermal bridging stuff. Mm. It's going to develop. We're going to see more aspirations in that space to understand more different types of thermal bridges. But for now, it's just repeat thermal bridges. Mm. On the condensation management side of things, this is an interesting one for the market because formally we haven't really had to do anything about managing condensation, which Mm. is fairly ridiculous in cold climates not to manage condensation because you you have to manage it. It's a major risk. Mm. And I I think as we've been building more of these multi-residential buildings, which are so poorly considered from a condensation point of view, Mm. their their volumes are small, Mm. still got you know a certain amount of vapor moisture within them coming from the bathrooms coming from the kitchens the kitchen is in the dining room everything's all in one space Mm. they often only have sliding door systems as opposed to other types of operable windows there's less of a tendency for people to open those up as opposed Mm. to cracking open an awning system for example in the kitchen Mm. so because of the type of these constructions they're just really poorly managing vapor when they do manage vapor sometimes they don't even extract to the outside they just extract to the ceiling Mm. so the ceiling void so it's just really lots of poor poor 
delivery on the construction side mm-hmm. has meant that the condensation management was introduced to resolve some of these issues. issues. Mm-hmm. And they do it from a wall perspective, from a roof perspective. They're introducing the really the concept of the fact that, yeah, you've got to manage the health risks associated to this. And at this point in time, it's a good manageable introduction uh, to the subject. But again, that's going to be tweaked over time. We're going to see this change, I'm sure, to be a bit more um, insightful in terms of what it's trying to manage. Because if you're managing condensation, what are you managing? Are you managing moisture? Mm. Are you managing the potential for mould? What are you actually trying to manage? manage? We're going to see things change a bit more now. And effectively, it's introduced um, a verification pathway to do these types of things, assess condensation in buildings, mm. particularly from our, our wall and roof perspective. But hopefully over time, we, that's going to be just replaced with good construction standard detailing mm-hmm. so you don't have to do condensation modeling mm-hmm. on every single project which would be an absolute nightmare it's just modeling for the sake of modeling yeah. uh, we can get to the point where we've got standard construction details that are perfectly suitable for all applications across australia mm-hmm. uh, but at this point in time it's good to see that they're gaining momentum mm-hmm. in at least understanding if there is an issue on mm-hmm. projects and that's where we're at uh, mainly in climates colder climates yeah. But we are seeing that this condensation management um, consideration is crossing boundaries into uh, climates that are not in the National Construction Code in terms of its requirements and also building classes that are not in the National Construction Code in terms of its requirements. Because people are now considering condensation as a, oh, I could actually be an issue in this building, mm-hmm. they're actually independently going, well, let's make sure it's not an issue now. So people have woken up to the fact that we have many condensation problems, and they may not appear in the first year, the third year, but five years, ten years, they mm. can become a, a hidden problem, mm. which, if it comes inside the builder's defects period, mm. is going to come back and bite them. Mm. So, yeah, it becomes a, a hidden cost item down the line. If you're a reputable main contractor and you're, mm. you're building, then you know, you're going to want to make sure that you've at least had this checked by someone. Yeah, a little growing cottage condensation industry going on at the moment and what are some of the impacts of say not addressing these issues whether it's thermal bridging or condensation for someone who's living in that space i think yeah look i'm exposed to that space and one of the impacts i'm seeing is not just the the occurrence of something related to condensation such as mold yeah that's a problem but it's it's also the fact that once people get these problems they're very hard to to get rid of it's very hard to manage. Uh, so you've got these sort of band-aid solutions of putting in dehumidifiers into spaces and trying to get rid of the mold. But once mold is there and it's found something to live on and eat, mm. it doesn't disappear. That's you've got to get rid of it. Remediation stuff is significant. Mm. And people are sensitive to the value of their properties too. Mm. People can't sell a property if it's got mold problems mm. condensation problems so mm. we're actually seeing in the rental partners uh, the industry now their renters are starting to be covered if they have condensation problems or mold problems in their building mm. where they can actually go ahead get it fixed and just charge the owner of the building now mm. because the government seem to have uh, woken up to the fact and maybe that's a, a state by state level perspective but there are issues out there and tenants and stuff need to be protected by this so there's this the value of the property there's the concern about health Mm. and there is the i guess the liability of of the main contractor and we also actually just as an aside we actually have condensation issues in 
construction methodologies that are deemed to be fine for a National Construction Code point of view, particularly balconies, lots of problems with balconies and condensation where we're insulating below a balcony and let's say there's a, a room that is occupied below that balcony, moisture is just going up and it's uh, hitting the underside of the balcony and you're getting condensation problems there, so lots of stuff. Thanks for that breakdown. At this point, it may take a slightly different uh, direction. I know you've been involved with some big bodies. Earlier on, you mentioned Vietnam Green Building Council, but Climate Works, you've worked with the GBCA here in Australia, and um, you know you're involved in the Passive House Association mm. as well. But I'm a little bit more interested in uh, the interaction you had with uh, ABCB in terms of the new NCC code, just to get a, yeah, okay. a, feel, a feel of what, what that interaction was about. And So that was more to do with the uh, National Construction Code. Yeah, it was a bit of engagement by the ABCB in order to come up with a solution for looking at what is now known as J1.5 and its a requirement for energy efficiency mm-hmm. within the 2019 code. So it's really engaged to master or create a, a spreadsheet for distribution to, to designers. It was a bit of a challenge because the spreadsheets are not the sort of a thing you need to be passing over from person to person uh, design team to design team in this decade so we we shouldn't be doing that but that was the scope and it was an interesting piece of work in terms of the ability to understand the basic challenges of the national construction code and the things that it was indirectly mandating from a design perspective so good from that point of view but challenging to put something out to industry that is going to be a meaningful introduction to practitioner's workflow Mm. based on an Excel spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. There's only so much you can do with an Excel spreadsheet that spits out numbers when the sheet is there to capture information about walls, about glazing systems, about the whole building in order for it to be designed. Fundamentally, believe that we shouldn't be designing buildings by spreadsheets. That's effectively what that piece of work uh, aimed to do Mm -hmm. in order to meet the minimum performance requirements for the building fabric pretty much Mm -hmm. uh, for 2019. So good project, great team I was working with, but in terms of the overall intent of uh, spreadsheets and and this decade, I still question the approach. I think that we're hopefully going to see more advancements in that space. And of course, one of the other projects I've got is a part of that insight. Which is now focusing around the next step after Fabric First, which is... Mm. Yep. Um, yep. So what gap did you see as an opportunity, or maybe in other words, what big problem is Speckle um, aiming to solve? Yeah, so Speckle is a project that myself and my partner David Carroll has been working on for the last couple of years. Dave's the mastermind behind the code. I'm the industry dude. Dave and I worked worked together in the past and we were both equally frustrated with the go-to approach in terms of how you look at the National Construction Code and how you use it Mm. and where it fits into your workflows and how you can get the most out of it. So we wanted to really take the opportunity at the point where the NCC was introducing something new to go, okay, cool, let's do something that, you know, we think is a, a better approach that looks at the workflows of ultimately gathering information around your building envelope. Mm. and specifying. That's pretty much what it does and aims to support the industry to make decisions more quickly mm-hmm. in regards to meeting these you know, minimum provisions mm-hmm. that are set forth in 2019. Mm. So Speckle is a platform that you know, aims to do that by looking at your wall systems, your roof systems, your floor systems, glazing systems, and, and the, the whole building. Mm-hmm. And it's a very elaborate, I think Dave was telling me it was about 60,000 lines of code so far. And that's after it's been refined. It was probably much bigger at one point. Mm-hmm. It's 
super interesting project and it's just about to release uh, a lot more interest in the market i'm sure because we're adding automated full-scale simulations to speckle that will effectively enable what is called a jv3 model to be instead of taking three days it could take an hour so a, a major change to how we approach compliance and how we add specification into a project. Mm. So we're trying to do multiple things, improve workflows, make things clearer in terms of what the design intent is and reduce costs on projects related to compliance. It sounds like a powerful tool that's doing several things. Has it been easy or has it been, would you say, challenging? To oh yeah, cause, it's been cause really easy. Because <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you have three <clears throat> different things that you're um, working on. So you have the suppliers on one end mm. and then you have the end user, the engineers or the architects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have the, the tool itself where you have the workflow money yeah, yeah. And, the, and the building assessment. So yeah, it's just curious because it's been two, two yeah. years now. It's had various stages of development. Up front, uh, I worked with some and continue to work with some really progressive suppliers mm. that have seen the value of the transparency in which Speckle brings to them and the fact that they don't need to deal with anything anymore. An example, maybe Kingspan or Knauf or DC Tech, they're all providing insulation type solutions. Mm. And they can provide the whole solution in terms of the wall solution, the roof solution or the floor solution, whatever. Mm-hmm. Put it into Speckle and so the user just goes, okay, click solution, done. Mm. So it's, it's already predetermined, everything's calculated for them. And mm. because we're third party, we are ultimately a, a transparent way for them to go, yeah, cool, look. You can do this on Mm. Speckle, and those reports can be provided to your building surveyor, Mm. and is a part of that performance-based design brief that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, lots of challenges come with that because you're managing lots of other people's data. Like, Mm. you need to know, hey, this supplier is providing me with this. Is it correct? Mm. Is it up-to-date? Has it been done with the latest version of the standard? You become the police a little bit of the data behind Mm. the products on Speckle. So that's one challenge Mm. we didn't really imagine that we'd become the police of specification but to some degree we have because not all suppliers have maintained a position on speckle some suppliers have been taken off of speckle Mm. because of the fact that we couldn't be sure that what was being given to us was actually legitimate Mm. there was something wrong Mm. with Mm. the numbers we've actively just taken them off of the platform and that's a part of agreement if you don't provide the actual values Mm. and then when they're audited that if they're not fine then Either the products get removed or mm. the company gets removed. Mm, mm. So challenges, definitely that's one of them. Dave's in a better position to talk to this, but the overall the complexity of the platform in terms of how we continually build it, integrate all the apps together, the reporting side of it, the ongoing testing side, of everything is continually tested on, on Speckles. The debugging of things, fairly standard in terms of software development, mm. but yeah, it is a massive challenge and we're dealing with them. Um, Lots of unknowns as well. The National Construction Code does not specifically state every single assumption that you need to make. And that's a bit of a challenge because sometimes we've gone, well, we've got to make our best decision on what we think is the most appropriate. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're, we're probably just veer on the side of caution or a little bit conservative in those types of decisions. And mm-hmm. what else in terms of complexities? Probably the market side of things as well. We've put forward a, a platform that is relatively low cost in terms of the value that it provides, mm. but we're dealing with a platform that's been developed through COVID mm. that I haven't, we haven't been able to directly interface with how we would have 
prior to COVID, mm. that we can't just walk into an architectural engineering office anymore, that those things are not as not as done anymore. We've got a tendency to just talk on Teams or Zoom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're dealing with all that sort of stuff too. So yeah, lots of challenges, that's for sure. But you know, we're, we're still here after COVID. Thank still you to good. the government who saved us. <laughs> and still going. Mm. And from an end user perspective, what as I say, maybe two to three low-hanging fruits, like someone just jumped on the tool, what are some of the key benefits that someone would, would have in terms of assessing your, the, the, yeah. a project using Speckle? And then a follow-up to that would be, is there a hidden feature that maybe a power user would uh, yeah. discover? So look, it's got a, it's got a freemium approach to it, so anyone that jumps on there is going to get value from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so free. <laughs> you can pay money to go on to the practice levels. Yeah. But you know, free is probably the first benefit. Mm. It's super fast. Mm. It's super, super fast. And it's verified. Everything is verified in the back end. So you produce a report on Speckle. Mm-hmm. It's a solution against the National Construction Code. So, mm. yeah, it's fast. And you can produce reports for, for free. Did I mention free? Then I think they're probably some of the big benefits. And then, as you're alluding to, yeah, that there is lots of other benefits on there too. Once you're paying on a monthly basis, you pay on a 30-day basis and access to more advanced calculations in terms of looking at shading devices, looking at condensation stuff. By next month, you can be looking at whole building simulation. So mm. major value add mm. just mm. on the table now. And that's going to be, I think that's going to be what we think is an absolute game changer, both for resi and commercial buildings. Mm. Yeah, was it $199 a month? It's going to, you can do a JV3 model instead of three days, one hour. If that doesn't put more bums on seats, I don't know what will. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the user experience is really good as well because I've, I've played around with the tool in a few of our internal projects. Mm. Is that something that you guys keep on top of my own? Keep tweaking it, cutting back. Yeah. You just keep pulling back to the point where you're just giving the bare bones in terms of the user is by default exposed to. Mm-hmm. And then if you're trying to create another level for those more experienced users, mm-hmm. you're trying to make sure that user experience is, is, is not too scary mm-hmm. because users are fickle. You know, people jump on and go, no, don't like it, mate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out of here. We all do it, whether we like it or not. Well, most of us do it. Yeah, so yeah, we're always pulling back, even on the new stuff, the JV3 stuff, how clean the interfaces it's unbelievably clean for the complexity of the the stuff that's done in the back end and the reason it's so clean is because we automate everything mm-hmm. uh, so we don't make you go through any decision that you don't need to go through it just mm. doesn't make any sense to us mm. if we can make an assumption on your part we'll make an assumption mm. and then you can go ahead and tweak that change that but uh, everything's automated so it, it cleans things up uh, so yeah dave um is constantly developing I guess, overall strategies for uh, cleaning up the interface. Nice. And would you say Speckle is more of a compliance tool, a design tool, or a little bit of both? It's a little bit of both. What we'll see now over this year is that the compliance stuff, yeah, sure, we'll charge ahead, do that. It's the the low-hanging fruit, if you like. Mm. And then what we'll continue to do is just add on the design side application to it. Because we don't want Speckle to be a a tool just for compliance, because that's boring. There's other things to do. Mm -hmm. We want Speckle to be very convenient for compliance. So you can do it quickly and then go and do some other stuff. So if you've got a scope of five grand or 10 grand to do some consulting, whatever that is, you jump on there, do what you need to do, and then add more value to the project in other ways. Mm -hmm. So that's design side 
value add. Mm. So that's what we want it to do, mm. uh, and that's what we're going to be striding towards the end of the year because uh, that means that you've got a, a base user which is compliance focused, but then you've also got those more advanced users that actually want to optimize their design to go beyond the National Construction Code. Mm. And that's important because mm. National Construction Code is the minimum performance requirements to build. It's not major accolades in any way it's mm. the minimum requirement we've got to go far further if we're going to meet requirements to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions at a local level to contribute to the global level yeah and as we start to wind down so where would you say in a snapshot our speckle is at the moment and in terms of maybe the, the near future so yeah the next, i mean uh, 12 or so months yeah i think dave and i were, were talking about this recently like, yeah where is speckle at now it's just starting to get where we want it to be Mm. So it's taken two years to get it to just where we wanted it to be. We've got no angel investors behind us. We're running at our own speed here. And so we're just getting it to the point where we're happy with it. Mm-hmm. And we know what it's doing, all the calcs and stuff, that's not an issue. But in terms of the, I guess, the quality and the value add and the increased amount of people coming on every day and the increased amount of interest from the supply chain, it's just getting there now that it's becoming this manageable thing that's on a month-by-month basis. We're not sweating things out in terms of whether we're going to be, have enough people on there, that sort of thing. It's just, it's stabilized. So mm-hmm. it's just got to the point now a couple of years in where it's stabilized. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it would take, another while to really lift off but I think these applications that are just about to be dropped onto Speckle are really going to help those users that are not quite sure whether it's enough value for them yet yeah yeah gotcha looking forward to catching up maybe in uh, 12 months time just Mm. to see where Speckle's at that point and yeah just uh, maybe the last two questions which just moving away from the technical side of things are there key people in the industry or key person in the industry that you either follow find interesting or insightful i haven't seen an an awesome amount of content being produced recently i don't know Mm. whether you found the same i used to produce more content myself and i just haven't had had the time to produce it i'd say definitely yeah no there's uh, local folk that are extremely good at what they do who jumps to mind as a guy called jesse clark he's at a company called pro climber they sell membranes um other stuff, I'm sure Jesse will be far more arti- articulate about what they sell, but mm-hmm. he's a, a great mind in terms of uh, the building physics side of things. Mm-hmm. Then an old friend of mine, Samantha Anderson, who's based in Brisbane, and she's uh, in Habit, and she's awesome because she's such an energy, and she is very knowledgeable and has been pushing the envelope in terms of both using her own knowledge to advance industry and doing it in, in practice too. So a couple of people spring to mind, and there's some... Uh, architects, architect I work with quite often, a guy called Dylan Brady. He does some awesome builds. He designed the Pixel building. And we're working on some projects together. Really force difficult decisions to be made every single time we have a conversation. Mm. And that's really cool. It's really hard, but mm. it's really cool because it means that progressively what we're achieving is it's quite major mm. um and then yeah a bunch of people in the um, they've got a soft spot for the passive house space and a bunch of folk in that space are doing some amazing stuff so on a very active board for the australian passive house association and there's some great people there doing some advocacy and technical review and just using their network of contacts to broaden the scope of passive house being introduced as a, a viable sort of net zero strategy for building. So probably too many to mention there, to be quite honest, but there's a, a very strong board. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lots of folk there. Yeah, Yeah. look, there's, there's loads of people out there doing stuff. And uh, I think we've probably just contracted in terms of our comms now over the last year with COVID, right? So mm-hmm. you're not exactly sure what else is going on out there anymore. You see something on LinkedIn, you go, oh, okay, great. 
yeah. pretty picture LinkedIn. That's fantastic. But not knowing the actual sort of details of things, I guess that's the bit that some of the knowledge that's been not knowledge sharing that hasn't quite happened as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I'm sure there's plenty of awesome stuff going on out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, last question would be if a listener is keen to either see your work or find you online, uh, mm. where can they find you? Yeah, yeah, cool. Obviously, LinkedIn, fabricfirst.com.au, uh, speckle.io. Yeah, just put in Darren O D O apostrophe D A E S D. I don't want that bit, but you'll find me. I'm not hard to find. Yeah, awesome. All right, thanks again for uh, making time today and really enjoyed the conversation. And I'm sure it's not the last one because there are some things that uh, we did touch on today that I believe can really be expanded on or elaborated on. Mm. And yeah, so I'm looking forward to a future conversation. Clear. Uh, thanks, Darren. Thanks.